sort of a bit blown away, actually, <laughs> by that worship. I'm still catching my breath from the first one. <laughs> Days of Elijah. Right, so I'm speaking today on the greatest commandments uh, as, as given by Jesus. And I wondered to start off with whether um, you've ever thought about this question. Uh, and the question is, uh, if there was a fire in your house and all the people were safe, what would you go and save first? If you just had just a moment to rush in uh, or, or grab something before you rushed out. Have a quick chat to somebody next to you and then we'll get a bit of feedback from you all. What would you save first in a house fire? Okay, Jeff's going to come and run around. Wave your hand if you've got something you'd like to share that you would uh, think that you would save if there was a fire in your house. It, it being on, I hope. Nigel, can you put up the hand mic? I would save all my physical photo albums, so... They're not all in the cloud like some official people, some clever people have done, like Nigel. Um, yeah. Okay, anybody Family else life. would save their photo albums? Show of hands for photo albums. Quite a lot of photo albums being dragged out of the flames. Good. Anything else? Yeah, I, this Finn? is not me, this is Jeff. I think it's brilliant. The first thing you save is the insurance policy. <laughs> Very practical. Ours is in a fireproof box. <laughs> I'd save a change of clothes. Change of clothes. <laughs> Very practical. Anybody else save a change of clothes? I actually had a fire. And uh, after the fire brigade came, well, we went, I went outside and I had the budgie and two dogs. Ah, Nothing the else. pets. Nothing else. Yeah, and save the, budgie, the pets. The budgie and the two dogs survived. There's one more up here, um, Jeff. Anybody else would save their pets or would you leave them to fend for themselves? Yeah, all right. Pet lovers, it's here. Here we go. I think it's Precious, is that right? Is that you, Precious? Sorry, Jenny, sorry, yeah. I'd save my laptop. Ah! <laughs> save the laptop, brilliant. Well, I used to think I'd save the family photos, but since most of ours are up in the, up in the cloud as well now, I don't think I'd bother, and the rest are in the loft, so I'm certainly not going to that. So I might grab my laptop and my iPhone as well. Did you have are something? Are you done? Do you, have one, do you want one more? Oh, we want one more, do we? I think okay. Eileen wants one. I was off. Well, I've always said that I'd grab my Bible and I'd grab my guitar, ah. but I've just realised I could replace both. <laughs> ah. Sometimes Bibles are very sentimental to us, though, aren't they? Because they story of our lives, actually, yeah. Anyway, so I decide I'm a saddo. I'd grab my iPhone and iPad, and then at least I can tell everybody what's happened to me, can't I? <laughs> you can all sympathise. Well, I saw an item on the BBC News uh, just a few couple of weeks ago. Uh, you may have seen it about this dam in Northern California, the Oroville Dam. Did anybody catch that one? And uh, there'd been... Um, days if not weeks of heavy rain and the de- they were in a really dangerous point because if you see all that white water coming down the side of it, um, those are the emergency spillways and they were in danger of being um, completely overwhelmed and they uh, made the decision to evacuate 180,000 people from downstream of the dam in case the thing went. Well, thankfully it didn't, um, so they, it was fine, but uh, there was a lady on, uh, on the BBC News website talking about what she'd taken when 
when she was told to to leave at very short notice. Uh, and she said, she said she grabbed her family photos, her violin, her didgeridoo, and a pile of wet laundry. So Josie, she's on your wavelength. And why did she grab the pile of wet laundry? Well, she thought that they might be out of the home for a while. And that was the quickest place where there was a selection of clothing. (laughs) So she whipped that up and and dashed off with it. Um, So sentimental with the family photos, precious with her instruments, and um, very practical with the clothing. So actually, as we answered that question, that's probably quite revealing for us as to what is really important to us. And our Bible reading that Anne's going to come and read to us in a moment answers the same, has about the same sort of question. Jesus was debating with the teachers of the law in Jerusalem about some of the passages in the Old Testament. And one of the scribes, a teacher of the law, heard him and came over to ask him a question. And so let's hear what happens. Right, this is um, Mark 12, verses 28 to 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one. And there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbour as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, You're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Thank you, Anne. So, well, I wonder what was going through the mind of that scribe or the teacher of the law in the Bible passage. So I'd love for you to allow me a little bit of latitude because I want us to use our imaginations to put ourselves in the place of the scribe in the passage. We could call him Ezra. That's a good name for a scribe, isn't it? So here's Ezra telling us his account of what happened. So there I was, hanging around in the temple area, minding my own business, when I saw a bunch of those Sadducees grouped around the man they called Jesus of Nazareth. Now that Jesus, he's supposed to be a bit of a troublemaker, you know. He's always winding up the uh, chief priests and others like those Pharisees, because they, I think they just love to walk around with their noses in the air and just thinking that they're more holier than thou than anybody else. Mind you, I always wonder why they keep sticking their noses in the air when all they really want to do is stick it in someone else's business and find fault with them. However, that's as maybe. As a scribe, it's my job to study and to teach the law and copy out the scriptures. So I've got a lot to do with the Pharisees. 
although I can't be doing with the really nitpicky ones, but some of them, they're okay, because at least they come from the same background as me, the common people. But I cannot be doing with those Sadducees. Rich, elitist, arrogant. They think they've got it all taped, you know, all sewn up because they run the temple, they maintain it, they oversee it and they make sure that everything goes on there is absolutely right and keeping to the letter of the law. And worse still, in my eyes, they twist the scriptures to their own ends. Fancy not believing in the resurrection. Can you believe it? Do you know that means that they don't think there's any reward or penalty for what you do in life after you die? I don't get it. Just seems, what's the point of trying to do good in life then, I say? Anyway, there was a bit of a silence fell after this man, Jesus, gave a particularly good answer to a particularly stupid question, in my opinion, about some hypothetical woman who had married some brother, and then he died before they had children, and then she'd married the next brother, and he died before they had children, and so and so on it went, until she'd married seven brothers, if you can believe it, and there'd been never any children. And their question was then, okay, whose wife is she when she gets to heaven? But they don't even believe in heaven, do they? So that's how stupid a question it was. Well, Jesus gave a really, really good answer. And I was particularly impressed with his knowledge of the law, though I say it myself, being, as I say, a bit of one who studies the law. And I know it all because I've copied it out so many times. So I dived in that that, um, silence and I took my chance and I asked him, Well, okay then, which commandment do you think is the most important, Jesus? And it was a really good question, I thought, because do you know what? There are 613 different laws he could have picked from. That's how many laws are written in the Jewish scriptures. And going on just right now, at the same time, there's a bit of a discussion going on between rabbis about which of the laws is the greatest or what they call the heaviest And which of the laws is the littlest or the lightest? So it's a really topical question. I was quite proud of it, actually. Well, back comes Jesus at me straight, straight away. No hesitation. And he came back at me with the Jewish Shema from the book of Deuteronomy. I know it really well. All us Jews do, don't we? Because we say it every night, every evening and every morning. And Shema, of course, it just means, as you know, hear or listen. So Jesus said... The most important one is this, he said to me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then it gave me a bit of a bonus there, Brucey bonus. He said, second most important one is love your neighbour as yourself. And of course, I knew that as well. Because while the first one came from Deuteronomy, the second one comes from Leviticus, the so-called holiness code. Leviticus 19, one of my favourite books, though I say it myself. So that's love your neighbour as yourself. So I had to acknowledge he'd given me a good answer, credit where credit's due. And I had been expecting him to say something like, you shall do this, you shall obey that, you shall abstain from eating crocodile, or you shall not, um, not go to the loo inside the camp, or one of the other rules that's really quite important. But he answered not with something like that, he answered with a feeling, love. That was a bit of a surprise. And the commandments he picked out, well, they were to do with worship. 
the way we relate to God. Where do your hearts and priorities lie? That's what he was saying to us. Surely loving God and our neighbour is way more important than keeping all those hundreds, 613 minor laws to do with sacrifices and burnt offerings and the like. Oh, heck, that was a massive slap in the face for the Pharisees and Sadducees. Yes, I really like that. Because they, of course, are more interested in keeping the law down to every little detail. What Jesus was really saying to me and to us was that all of that's unnecessary. It doesn't matter to hoots. And when a crisis comes, it's loving God and loving our neighbour that's what matters. Sacrifices doesn't matter at all. Mind-blowing. I've probably said the words of the Shema hundreds if not thousands of times in my life. And I never thought about what it was really saying. Had to go away and think about it. So let's leave Ezra to go off and ponder what happened to him. Now then. We've got to think about what this means for us. That was a little bit really a sneaky way of giving us the context and all that sort of thing. So we're going to think about now these things. What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength? How can we love our neighbour as ourselves? And what are the implications of being not far from the kingdom, which is what Jesus said to Ezra? So let's unpack a little bit about love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. God's interactions with his people, they are built on his love and our relationship with him. His love and his concern extend to all areas of human life. And if it's true to say that we're built, uh, made in God's image, then surely when we find our truest selves, the deepest meaning of life in relating to the one that we've been designed to reflect. Life in all its fullness, life worth living, you might say, which is the theme of our sermon series, by relationship with the one who created us. That's why the Shema tells us there is only one God and that we are to love him with all our heart, soul and strength. And Jesus added in the bit about all our mind because he wanted to encompass every bit of our being. There's just no part of us, not no one little bit of us, he's saying, that we aren't to engage with God and love him with. Now if we take a quick look at the Hebrew words in that, we'll get a bit, sort of a fuller picture of what Jesus is actually saying. The heart, as you probably have got, is our emotions, the seat of our emotions. The soul comes from the Hebrew word nephesh, and that's better translated as, as you can see on the screen, the life force within us, life, life force. The mind is our will, our intellect and our understanding, that's our head knowledge, so we've got our emotions. We've got our head knowledge and we've got our life force within us. And finally, our strength. Now, that's an interesting one. That's not what you might have thought about, you know, physical strength, you know, pumping iron and, uh, and get, gritting our teeth and striving. The Hebrew word for strength is one that actually doesn't exist in English uh, as a translation in English. And so it's sort of what best translated as our muchness. So love the Lord your God muchly or with your muchness. I rather liked that. 
So we love the Lord our God with our emotions, with our whole life, with our will, our intellect, and our muchness. No half measures, he says. With all of that, all that's in you, all that you've got. Well, how do we do that then? That's, you know, that, that's fine, isn't it? You're all sitting there going, yes, but how? So how do we do that? Well, I just wonder if the key to loving God is actually through worship. And by the way, I don't mean observing rituals here. I don't mean thou shalt attend church every Sunday and do things a certain way. Uh, Worship is way broader than that. Um, If Psalm 133 starts out by saying, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. And that's an expression of how the psalmist wants to give his whole self to loving God, holding nothing back. Somebody once put that as savouring the essence of God, tasting the essence of God in our worship. And in worship, and I'm not just talking about singing here, though it could be, could also be through spoken worship. It could also be through silent contemplation of God's creation worship. It could be through art. It could be through music. It could be through doing something with your hands. It's however worship works best for you, but it's through worship that we can apply our whole being into acknowledging and enjoying everything that God has for us. Just spending time, actually, in reverential awe and wonder of our most holy God. We're created to be at one with God and with all creation, and of course, tragically, we know in the world that just isn't so really anymore but um, Psalm 103 gives us the list of benefits that come when we take the time and effort and energy to give ourselves to God in this way the psalmist talks of healing of forgiveness of renewal and much much more you might want to go away and read Psalm 103 a bit later just to see but the more deeply we worship in whatever way that works for us the more completely we can become immersed in the one who is the essence of our life. Give him all that we've got. The first and greatest and heaviest in the right sort of way and most important commandment. But then Jesus quoted another commandment, didn't he? He uses the word of Leviticus, which says, love your neighbor as yourself, and then adds, I am the Lord. And in Jesus' mind, that's actually a not negotiable component of loving God. How could we, he's implying, possibly enjoy personal worship time with God and yet ignore the plight of the poor and the needy, the oppressed and the marginalized? Shouldn't our social consciences be sharpened by that encounter with the living God, the most holy God in our worship? Isn't our relationships, aren't our relationships meant to be cross-shaped vertically to God and horizontally to our neighbours around us? So Jesus is saying the one, loving our neighbour, flows from the other. Now I'd really like to give you something concrete to go away with today. So I've invited Mike Patterson to come and talk to us for a few moments. He, Mike, runs the uh, church communities engagement, Camberley Communities Engagement Ministry area. Uh, all the activities that go on outside the church with our neighbours around us in the widest sense. So Mike, so I'll give you a chance to share some of the uh, things that go on. Thank you very much, Claire.
I have to say that loving my neighbor has been something of a challenge since yesterday afternoon. <laughs> England played very well. Somewhere in all that, they discovered how to play rugby again. Well done. Well done. Now I know how Tom feels week after week. <laughs> so how can we respond to this word and the command to love our neighbor as ourselves? Well, here's one option. I want to offer you the opportunity to explore this question in, in a practical way through our Camberley Communities Engagement Ministries, the CCE work that many of you already pray for personally or in your life groups. It's an opportunity to be in one of the places where Jesus is here in Camberley. Let me say first that prayer is... That, sorry, for, for some, prayer is the only possible way to be involved with the CCE ministries. And I want to acknowledge the value of that prayer right from the outset. I'm not about to suggest something that's better than praying. I'm just about to offer something that's a bit different. For those who can and would like to find out at first hand what it's like to be a street angel or to pray healing on the streets on a Saturday, we want to make the offer of the Camberley Communities Engagement Experience. Bright red offer. You've seen offers like this before. Others are available. This one is free. There is no charge for this experience. We want to offer you the opportunity of a night out in the town. We want to offer you the opportunity to provide free food for people who are in desperate need. We want to offer you the chance to see debts dissolved. The opportunity to offer healing prayer right where you are. And the opportunity to help someone up a step that is just too high for them to do on their own. God knows where it might finish, but it all starts with a CCE experience. These cards are available that you can take for yourself or perhaps you want to make the offer to somebody else. And they're available on the tables and Claire will talk a little bit more about that later on. On the back of the card are the five different experiences we're offering. First of all, the Street Angels one. Well, here's a chance to be out, cold, wet, tired and amazed at what others wear when you're wrapped up in a park of gloves and a woolly hat but also the chance to meet people who, in turn, are amazed by the unconditional love that you have for them. Just come out for a night, or even part of a night, to have that experience. Or come and meet the people who are working to ensure that those that have no food have food for a few days or more. Give an hour of your time to sorting out the food the clothing, the material provisions that are provided by either Beeson Ministries or St. Vincent de Paul, and be prepared to have your eyes opened to a part of Camberley that you perhaps don't even know exists. Better still, experience it, to believe it. Either at the Beeson warehouse or in the St. Vincent de Paul warehouse or their shop, or go out with them and meet some of the people and experience giving out God's love. It's a gift being offered to you, actually. 
or go out with and be a chaperone with, the, with a frontline advisor like Marianne or, or Ruth. Go and meet with somebody who is sinking in unmanageable debt and see what happens as they're helped to climb out of that debt, for that debt to be dealt with and dissolved in a manageable way. See the practical love of God reaching out to these people. Or join the Healing on the Streets team on a Saturday. They're there from 1.30 to 3.30 every Saturday. You can go out and perhaps just stand just slightly away and observe what's going on. Be guided by one of the Street Angel praying team as to what exactly is being done there. Take part in it yourself just one Saturday. It's just an experience. You're not committing yourself to be there every Saturday. But just go and experience what it's like to pray with those seeking Jesus' touch in their lives. It's just a short experience that we thought you might like to try and see if it's a ministry that you want to be more involved in without any commitment at all. So the cards are there and also there's a little response slip if you want to use that. There's a basket in the garden room and there'll be a group of us from these ministries gathered under the Healing on the Streets banner if you want to sign up for an experience. The names of those who lead the ministries is on the back at each of the ministry, or my details are there if you want to just get in touch with me by email or by telephone at some time later on. Come and share this experience. I say it again. There is no charge. Others are available, but none come at no charge. Thanks, Mike. Well, I really hope that God will just be speaking to some of you here to take up that offer of the free experience. A chance to find out about how we love our neighbour at first hand. A chance to step out, give up some of your precious time or energy. And maybe, just maybe you know, you might even find that you've got gifts that God's given you that you weren't even aware of as you give something a go. But let's, let's a lot of us, take up that challenge either to pray or to practically see how we can love our neighbour as ourselves. Imagine if we only lived out the fullness of Jesus' commands to love God with all our heart and love our neighbour as ourselves. If we lived that out fully, just even for one single day, what a difference that would make to the world, wouldn't it? Imagine if everybody lived like that, not just people in this church and other churches. Surely that would mean God's kingdom, his rule and his reign would come to earth sooner in all its fullness. The world's problems resolved many of them. Going back to our scribe Ezra, he recognised that doesn't sort of spell it out in the passage, but he did because Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Just a final thought as I come to close. How far might we go in sort of keeping what you might call the trappings of religion and yet still not be a true follower of Christ? The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, the chief priests, they were all busy keeping the letter of the law, doing the right thing. But they'd missed the point. And they were miles away from the kingdom of God. They'd no idea, actually, what loving God really meant.
None at all. When the scribe got it, he moved closer to the kingdom. Now, we don't know, actually, how his story ended. Did he put his faith in Christ? Did he not? Or did he remain undecided? We just actually don't know. And I just wonder how many of us are like that. We know a lot about religion and rituals, but we live and die without fully realising that God wants all of us, our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our muchness. Are we ready to give him that? Or are we content to stay not far from the kingdom? In the book of Deuteronomy, the Jews were told this by God. He said, these commandments I've given to you today, they're to be on your hearts. You're to impress them on your children, and we might add grandchildren. Talk about them when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames and of your, of your houses and on your gates. That's how important the Shema was to the Jews. So we, I'm not going to encourage you to go home and slap it on your forehead, all right? Or tie it onto your house, uh, your doorpost. You can do if you want. But what we have got are some little wristbands for you. Another freebie today. Are we not kind? On the wristband is the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Sorry, I didn't have room to put on the love your neighbor bit. But maybe you want to pick up one of these when we move into a time of prayers for healing in a bit and put it on. And maybe just keep it on for the rest of Lent or as long as it lasts till it falls apart maybe to remind you that this commandment that God has given us today, the greatest commandment of all, is to be on our hearts. That we're to share them with our children and grandchildren and friends and relatives and colleagues and whoever else we come across. And we're to keep it bound close so that we can love God with all of our beings and love our neighbour as ourself. So as I say, when we do come into prayers for healing in a moment... Uh, please do come and collect a wristband and a flyer from the little table here or one halfway up the church. But before we do that, um, to ask the music team to come up. I've been talking a bit earlier about worship. And we're going to worship him in song right now uh, as we offer him prayerfully all of our beings, all of our hearts. We're going to sing the song, I will worship with all of my heart. You might like to stand as we sing.